come. Walk down the winding path. Don't mind the spooks and monsters. They stay hidden within the trees. There are mysteries in this world that you need to know, and paranormal truths that need to be told. Come, step up into the caravan, where we share tales of old, as well as new accounts about things you thought only existed in your nightmares. Lortober episode of the season. But fear not, dear listener, for we have a special treat for you. No sleep November, so be sure to stay tuned. I want to give a huge shout out to our patrons, Jose, Jake, Natalie, Joseph, Victoria, Donna, Kadrick, Jim, and Robin. Thank you so much for your patronage. Your support helps keep the candles glowing here inside the caravan. We are also on Threadless, so you can get hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, and more with the Caravan logo and some other special designs by going to thecaravanoflore.threadless.com. Don't forget as well to head on over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. You can find us over there under the Caravan Library of Lore. We are also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the Caravan of Lore. If you would like to get in touch or have a scary story you would like to share, please email me at thecaravanoflore at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can find us on all your favorite podcatchers, as well as KPNL Radio, every Tuesday during our spooky season. Now, for tonight's guest. Tonight, we bring to you W.T. Watson, writer of both fiction and nonfiction, who infuses his work with his expertise in cryptozoology, monster lore, magic, Fortina, and the paranormal, and also someone who brings a unique shamanic and magical perspective to all of his work after over 30 years of exploration in these topics. So tune in as we hear tales of black dogs and more. Welcome inside the caravan. I am so excited to have on Travis Watson. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you very much for, for inviting me. I'm really excited by the opportunity to talk to your audience. Yes, me too. Me too. You know, I'm really excited personally for this interview because when I was really little, so I was in elementary school and, you know, I grew up with unsolved mysteries and goosebumps and are you afraid of the dark? But I remember one rainy afternoon when I was in the library at the elementary school, I picked up this book. And in this book, it had these different tales of monsters and cryptids and all these things. But this was a book on actual encounters. And this was the first book that I had ever come across where people were saying that these were real, that they actually saw these. And two of the stories that stood out the absolute most to me was Goatman and the Black Dog. Ah, yes. The infamous Goatman who appears all over the place but mostly associated with bridges. <laughs> right, yes. Um, that, that's, that's a story that I love a lot too. You know, maybe one of these days I'll get around to uh, exploring that a little more. But, you know, my own origin story, uh, I rather imagine that I'm just a little bit older than you are. <laughs> my own origin story starts back in the 60s when I was just a, you know, when I was in elementary school. I don't even remember how the story came up, but uh, my father actually told me that he'd had a UFO encounter in the desert outside of San Bernardino, California, back in the 1950s. And I was like, oh, what's a UFO? Tell me about that. And <laughs> that story was the seminal thing that got me into anything weird. Um, and my school librarian knew uh, as soon as they saw me coming that, um, <laughs> you know, I was after books on ghosts. I was after books oh, on the wow. Loch Ness Monster. I was after books <laughs> on Bigfoot. I had read Ivan Sanderson's, uh, you know, Abominable Snowman book by the time I got out of sixth grade. Nice. Um, I was a voracious reader anyway. And it's continued to this day. I am just... Uh, so impressed by the amount of really good literature there is out now as compared to, you know, when I was a kid. 
And just the, the wonderful podcast like this one where people can come on and, and, and talk about these things and you know, maybe even give first-person accounts. There, there's a, an embarrassment of riches in the, in the paranormal 40 and field these days. Um, and I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of it. Yeah. You know, the Phantom Black Dog does stick out for people. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I make a point of in the book is that frequently people will have encounters um, I spoke to, not spoke to, but emailed with a witness the other day who had an encounter that had mm-hmm. stuck with her for over 50 years. Oh, There's wow. an account in the book uh, about a gentleman who I believe was in his 80s or 90s who'd had an encounter when he was a young man. And it stuck with him for 60 or 70 years so that he was wow. still willing to talk about it to a folklorist. You know, so this apparition makes an impression on people. Um, and it's not necessarily because of the, the scariness of the apparition or whatever. It seems to be that the apparition itself, something about the energy that this apparition, apparition brings to people that really sticks with them. And of course, some phantom black dog encounters are pretty scary too. So that'll stick with you. I can completely understand why that story would have jumped out at you because it's an interesting tale and it's one that's been repeated in folklore over and over and over and and up to the modern day, over and over again. There's still people seeing these creatures. I got started, if you'd like me to give the origin story for the book, I'd be happy to do that. (laughs) I would love to hear it, of course. So I write both fiction and nonfiction. My first book with Beyond the Fray was called um, Hunting the Beast, which is a novel. And <laughs> back in 2016, when I was thinking about, uh, about writing this piece, I wanted to do something in kind of the urban fantasy, paranormal suspense genre. That's my jam. I love things like Jim Butcher and Patricia Briggs and those guys, right? But I wanted a different kind of a hero. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's writing vampires and werewolves, right? Vampires and werewolves yes. and some fairy. <laughs> I wanted to do something different. I'm a lore geek. I admit it. Um, I freely admit it. And anybody who reads the book will discover that. <laughs> um, and so I was uh, reading stories, looking through different texts and, and, you know, going to the library, rummaging around, you know, kind of looking at stories. And I happened across Ethel Rudkin is, is the kind of the seminal work in Black Dog Lore. She wrote a, an article for Folklore Magazine back in the 30s called Black Dogs. And in that article, she mentions a story, more of a legend than a witness account, but a story of a black dog that actually was capable of shape-shifting into a human and back. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, there's my hook, right? <laughs> I'm going to have a black dog as a hero. Perfect. So I started I started researching the lore on uh, on black dogs because I wanted the book to be fairly accurate from that standpoint. As I was reading all these stories that I read for the book, I was like, wow, you know, somebody should write a book about this. <laughs> you know, fast forward to 2021 and we're about to publish, uh, you know, Hunting the Beast and, you know, mm-hmm. W.T. Watson is about to become published author. <laughs> I was talking to uh, my publisher, Shannon LeGro, who's somebody you know, and she was saying, have you ever considered writing a nonfiction book about these Phantom Black Dogs? I was like, well, as a matter of fact, nice. <laughs> I have a whole <laughs> slew of notes various phantom black dog stories that you know could probably be compiled into a book and i really at that point had no idea how deep that rabbit hole was going to go so i i started doing the research and and this book is the result of that what i wanted to do um, because a lot of the the black dog stories are, are pretty much the same have somebody walking down a road and they see this large dog and then the dog disappears so i didn't want to create a book where people were going to read encounter after encounter after encounter after encounter that was the same. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to do was I wanted to give the readers an idea of, you know, what a black dog was, how it appeared typically, where you might see one, and some of the high strangeness stuff that's attached to these creatures. Um, And then propose some theories about their origins and so forth. Um, And I think I succeeded pretty well with this book. Um, It's it's a good introduction to the topic, and it provides people with resources if they want to go deeper. There's a pretty extensive Mm -hmm. bibliography, uh, which includes books and articles and uh, Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. If you want to know more about Black Dogs, you can definitely learn more about Black Dogs by looking at those resources. But Mm -hmm. I wanted to give people, yeah, I, I wanted to give people an opportunity 
opportunity to mm. learn something about this really fascinating apparition that is right. native, uh, you know, most people think of being native to the UK, but is actually found in uh, all throughout the Americas as well. So, and that's something that a lot of people are not aware of. I uh, was speaking with somebody the other day who was saying, you know, I thought the black dog thing was localized to the British Isles and maybe Ireland. I had no idea that they had black dogs in South America or Central America. Um, It's called the Cadejo there. So uh, it was just, the more I dug, the more stuff I found, you know, the more fascinated I became. And I found out all kinds of really interesting stuff about black dogs along the way. So that's kind of the origin story of the book. That's wonderful. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm definitely going to have to get a copy for my sister because out of all the the lore and legends, my sister always loved the stories of the black dog. And for me... I did think that the black dog was more local to like London. Um, actually, when we look at the folklorists from Britain mm-hmm. um, who've done extensive research, you know, in their own areas, there's one county in Britain that doesn't have a black dog story. Oh wow! Now, when you go north of the border, I'm, I'm talking about England. Okay, when you go north right. of the border into Scotland, uh, the the phantom black dog stories become more rare. And the interesting thing about that is there is a, a dog, uh, a dog mm-hmm. apparition in Scotland. It's called the Cushi, which means in in Scottish Gaelic, basically a fairy dog. So the Cushi is actually either green. <laughs> which would be a really interesting thing to oh, see. Oh, wow. Or it could be uh, a white hound with, uh, with red ears, um, which is oh, wow. also sometimes seen in whales in association with uh, Anun. In any event, uh, when you read about the black dog, you find out, hey, this guy is kind of territorial. So I wonder if there wasn't some kind of a black dog negotiation with the Cushy up in Scotland and they decided, okay, we're going to stay south of the border here in England and you guys can have the Highlands. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. You know, I I don't know how that worked out. There are some black dog stories from Scotland, but they're not Mm -hmm. nearly as, as uh, in particular, like, like the Isle of Skye, the Isle of Man and places like Mm -hmm. that, but they're not nearly as common as they are in in England itself and often to Wales and so forth. There's black dog stories that, so it's not just the area around London either. You've got them all over England. There's black dog stories that come from Nova Scotia. I have one that was in the Toronto area. There's a whole section of black dog stories in Maryland in the United States, which uh, they have a great name for their (laughs) black dog. I love this. I mention it on every, every time I, anybody asks me about it, they call Mm. their black dog, the snarly yow. Oh, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, which I thought was just a great name. And Mm. and snarly yow pops up all throughout my book because there are several instances where I use stories from the snarly yow to illustrate Mm -hmm. various high strangeness things and so forth. And then, as I said, thanks to the work of a gentleman named Simon Birchall, we have stories of the black dog from uh, Central and South America. He's everywhere. The only yeah. place I, that I didn't find any black dog stories is, is the, the Asiatic countries. You know, you even find some black dog stuff in the Middle East, but it tends to get uh, rotated into their gin lore because they see the black dog as an aspect of the gin. They, they also tell black dog stories, too. So <laughs> he, he really is kind of everywhere. Yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like it. And I'm really, really fascinated, especially with that tie to the gin. Are they more than portents of or like a warning? I mean, you mentioned high strangeness. So for me, in, in what I've read, they always seem to be a portent, a warning saying, you know, hey, die or somebody you know will. Yeah, that's that's one of the most common aspects to the black dog phenomena. And therefore the one that and and probably the scarier one. So mm-hmm. it's the one that tends to get the most attention. It is true. The folklorist Ivan Bund from England makes a statement in one of his articles that, you know, it's not true that the black dog is actually a portent of death. And then he goes through and, and you know, if you go through his database, basically, of stories, um, something like 20% of the people who encountered black dogs either died themselves or had death in the family oh. shortly thereafter. Wow. So it is true that Mm -hmm. the black dog can be a portent of death. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It's true. Sometimes when when the black dog appears, there will be a death in the family. But that's not all. (laughs) That's just a tiny portion of black dog lore. 
Um, mm-hmm. What a lot of people don't know, and I found fascinating, is that Ethel Rudkin, in her seminal work, like one of the first things ever written about black dogs, mm-hmm. makes the argument that the, the black dog in Lincolnshire, which is was her home territory, was actually a guardian spirit. I, I agree with Rudkin that, yes, there is that aspect of the black dog. You look at the lore throughout England and throughout Canada and, and so forth. That's not all it is. It's not just a guardian spirit. But there are tons of stories included in the book where Mm. black dog actually, there's one where a black dog actually saves someone's life. But the most common guardian stories are you'll have usually a young lady, either a young lady or a preacher, one of the two, (laughs) that's, that's walking from one village to another. And they're approaching a section of the walk that is scary for them for some reason. Lots of times Mm -hmm. it's going into a dark forest or they see uh, some ruffians along the way or something along that line, right? Right. And suddenly there is a large black dog walking along beside them. And they don't know where the dog came from. Sometimes you'll hear the rustling of a hedge or whatever, but oftentimes the dog just seems to appear from nowhere. It walks along beside them, doesn't interact with them other than to let them know that it knows they're there. I call it the black dog stare. The dog will turn and look at you. But the dog will walk along and will scare the bejesus out of anybody who's, uh, (laughs) you know, looking at the person that it's accompanying with any kind of of rancor, right? And as soon as the threat has passed and they've walked on a certain distance, that dog will disappear. Now, the interesting thing about the guardian black dogs is that typically they will not have the scary apparition look. In other words, the person who's being accompanied thinks that they're walking with a dog, with an actual dog, you know, somebody's farm dog or whatever. Right. Uh, They don't have the glowing black eyes and all that (laughs) stuff. I mean, they're typically massive. And I'll talk about size later, but it's typically a very large dog, right? But not something that you wouldn't see on an English farm, maybe, or, you know, on a Canadian farm or whatever. So that's kind of the typical guardian story. The dog appears, it scares off whatever threat there might be. Or there's one story in the book where somebody prayed for accompaniment through a, a dark forest and a black mm. dog appeared. <laughs> so, you know, the dog just walks along beside you, minding his own business. Mm. And as soon as whatever threat or, or fear producing phenomena passes, the dog goes away. It just disappears. And this is when people realize, oh, wait a minute, this was a supernatural occurrence. <laughs> right. Because up to that time, they think that somebody's farm dog is being friendly and, and, and watching yeah. out for them. Wow. And then the dog disappears. So the best guardian story, and I really enjoyed this one, happens in Norfolk, which is actually Black Shuck territory. And Black Shuck is one of the scarier aspects of the black dog, usually. But in this particular instance, this fellow was um, engaging in the uh, favorite English pastime of playing darts. Um, He'd been playing darts at the pub, and he was on his way home. He was on a bicycle, pedaling along, you know, minding his own business and so forth. And he comes to an intersection, and there is a huge black dog sitting on a corner, basically. Now, this fellow's like, if you've ever done much cycling, you know that dogs can sometimes be an issue. (laughs) So he picks up his pedal strokes and tries to get out of there, right? He hears the sound of here's this thing chasing him, right? He's like, oh boy, I'm in for it now, right? (laughs) So the dog flies up beside him and passes him and then stops in the road and won't let him pass. So he gets off of his bike and he puts the bike between him and the black dog. (laughs) He's like, I'm not having any of this, right? Because he's fairly (laughs) sure he's going to get mauled if he's not careful, right? Oh, right. Dog's standing there. It's not going to let him go. It's not going to let him go by. Wow. So he's wondering what the heck he's going to do. Off in the distance a little ways, there's what the British call a spinny. Basically a a cluster of trees and bushes Mm -hmm. and, and such. And out of this spinning, he sees this car come rocketing up onto the road, you know, practically going on, on two wheels, right? Oh, you know, wow. spins out onto the road and takes off at high speed. And he realizes that if this dog hadn't stopped him, he would have probably been right in front of that driveway when this guy popped out of the spinning and Ooh. very likely would have gotten hit or, you know, and who knows, yeah. killed or, or seriously injured. Now, the dog's still holding him there. Oh. Yeah. 
And he's, <laughs> he's standing there, you know, with his bike between him and the dog and the dog's kind of looking threatening. And then it walks off and disappears. Oh, wow. <laughs> he's like, okay. <laughs> I right. just saw Phantom Black Dog. and didn't know it. Right. Right. <laughs> so he credits that dog with, with saving his life. It's not an uncommon event. We see a lot of times these stories of, you have to wonder after reading these guardian stories, we mm-hmm. see these stories of the black dog obstructing an entrance into a hedge mm-hmm. or obstructing a road. There's a great snarly yow story where this fella goes into the village, goes to the general store and picks up some stuff for his family, right? And he's walking back to his home and Snarly Yao appears in the road in front of him. Well, you know, this guy's a rough and tumble pioneer guy and he's not going to let some <laughs> dang dog tell him what to do, right? right? So he puts his packages down and he goes over and he's going to wallop that dog and get it out Ooh. of his way, right? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well... It doesn't quite work out for him because, you know, of course, one of the things that we realize about dog is it's an apparition, so you can't touch it. Right. (laughs) So he's swinging away, right? He's going to wallop that dog and and he swinging away and the dog, instead of moving, gets bigger. Oh, no. Um, The the more he strikes at it, the larger it gets. Oh, so he's, he's like, okay, all right. He finally wears himself out, right? He, he's not mm-hmm. getting anywhere with this and he's not getting past this big dog, right? So he's like, okay, well, so he backs up, he picks up his packages and he kind of stands there glaring at the dog until it walks off and disappears, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he goes on his way home. And, uh, you know, as I recall, everything was fine after that. So you have to wonder if there wasn't something happening down the road there that was going to be hazardous to this fellow. Right. But we do see these stories of the dog obstructing roads, you know, obstructing pathways, obstructing entrances into hedges and so forth, and not allowing people to go that way. Um, And we don't know quite why, you know, we haven't found a black dog to interview yet. Um, So, but that's, that's one theory anyway, is they're keeping people from getting hurt. Right. Now, out of all the stories you've heard, whether they were protecting or whether it was a scary story, what has to be the one that really struck you the most? I like the firearm stories. They make me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Ethel Rudkin has a one-sentence story in her Black Dog article. Mm -hmm. It was basically that a fellow named Sam Prettywell encountered a black dog and decided he was going to shoot at it. And he puts his gun to his, his shoulder and he pulls the trigger and the gun blows up. Oh no. <laughs> and it says, and he went home, <laughs> you know, which just, wow. I, I just, I thought that was classically funny. His gun, whatever it was, the barrel just exploded apparently. Wow. Uh, when he tried to shoot at this dog and you know mm-hmm. if you have it happen once in folklore you think well you know maybe it was the gun maybe it was this maybe that right there's a story from central america actually from mexico which has some wonderful stories of black dogs that have to do with, with something called a nawal which is a, a sorcerer mm-hmm. basically but you could imagine encountering a black dog standing on the side of the road smoking a cigarette um, this happened <laughs> right. wow <laughs> it was one of the one of one of the sorcerer stories in this story young man mexican fella he's walking from one village to another village right mm-hmm. on the road so i say black dogs are frequently seen on roads footpaths right. that kind of <laughs> any place where humans walk mm. or drive or ride bicycles so walking along this young person has a basically has an illegal firearm with him. he has a, a 38 oh. revolver that he's carrying with him he sees some headlights coming and, uh, you know, he's worried that this might be the policia or the militia, you know, they're going to take his weapon away. So he jumps over a fence and hides um, until the headlights go by. Gets back up and he starts to get back on the road. And there is a huge freaking black dog standing on the road. The black dog in Mexico and Central America doesn't have a terrific reputation. And I can talk about that in a little bit, but he sees this black dog. He's scared out of his mind, right? Because he thinks the, the devil's coming for his soul. So he pulls out his gun and he points it at this dog and he pulls the trigger and the bullet comes out of the barrel and falls to the ground. So being a really bright person, he does it again. Pulls oh, no. the trigger, bullet comes out of the barrel, falls to the ground. <laughs> oh, wow. 
and he figures his goose is cooked, right? He's not right. only has he encountered a black dog, but now he's taken an aggressive action against the black dog. And, you mm-hmm. know, the black dogs basically laughed at him. Right. So he does what all good Catholics do. He starts play, praying to the Virgin Mary. <laughs> um, right. And the black dog abruptly vanishes. So, wow. um, but, you know, I just love that. I love that story. I love the, mm-hmm. you know, Sam Prettywell's barrel exploding. And of course, <laughs> there's the Snarly Yow story where, you know, this fellow who's a experienced hunter, who's known as a, quote, crack shot throughout the entire region, oh. encounters Snarly Yow and figures he's going to bag this thing, right? Oh, no. Pulls his <laughs> rifle out and opens fire on this beast and apparently fires quite a number of rounds at it. Never can't hit it. Wow. <laughs> it, it has absolutely no effect. The dog kind of looks at him and just walks off. Wow. Know, <laughs> leaving him standing there with his smoking rifle wondering what he did wrong, right? And there's an English story where the young fella is out. He sees this black dog. And, you know, this is one of the terrifying ones, right? With the, mm. the eyes and the whole thing. And he makes a beeline for his house. You know, he's pounding on the door. His father lets him in the house. And he's like, there's a black dog out there. It's Black Shuck, because this is in Norfolk, right? Black Shuck is out there. So his dad goes up to the second floor of the house and looks out. Sure enough, there's a black dog in his front yard. Oh, wow. Well, he's not having that. So he gets his, what they call a fouling gun, which is basically a shotgun for mm-hmm. shooting birds. According to the story, he unloads a half a pound of shot at this thing. Oh, no. uh, which means that he took multiple shots at this creature with a shotgun. Right. right. Again, no effect whatsoever. The dog continues to howl and carry on for a while and then, and then eventually goes away. This is the funny part of the story. The only thing that these guys got for their trouble in, in trying to shoot at this black dog was a thoroughly ventilated outhouse. Uh, so when they went out the next morning apparently when he fired on the the black dog he ended up getting that house instead so oh wow those are those are kind of my favorite stories because it's you know it reminds me a lot of the uh you know if you've read the skinwalker ranch book by colin kelleher it reminds me of the massive wolf thing that shows up at the very beginning of the book and you know, they open fire on this thing with the 357 Magnum and then they shoot right. at it with the deer rifle and it just kind of shrugs and walks off. <laughs> you know? There's actually a black dog sighting in that book too. Yeah, yeah I the, haven't had a chance the, to read that one. Oh, fascinating, fascinating account. Every kind of high strangeness you could ever wish for. The, the lady of the house was coming home from work one night and this massive wolf thing shows up again and behind it is a black dog. Well, you know, if the wolf doesn't eat the car, then, you know, maybe I'll take a crack at it. (laughs) Um, That's all interesting stuff. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, it's funny because I've had one dog and he was a Mastodane. So he was half Great Dane, quarter Bull Mastiff, quarter English Mastiff. So standing on his his hind legs, he was over six foot tall. His name was Amos and he was a black dog. And Mm -hmm. it was so funny because... I remember we'd be out and about whether we were out camping or hiking or if I was just at home, somebody would walk by, oh, hey, how's it going? And then just stop once Mm -hmm. they saw Amos. And it was always so fascinating to see people's reactions to this. I mean, because of course I knew him as this big, goofy, lovable dog, but everybody else's reactions, it was terror. It really was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I tell a black dog story at the very beginning of the book in the introduction. I have a, a, a Mastiff Bulldog mix now who's a pretty oh. big girl, but she's not nearly as big as your boy was. But I had one in my younger days, a black Border Collie mix. Oh. Um, and she was all black. She was a smart thing. We did uh, wilderness search and rescue with her and agility oh, and wow. all kinds of stuff. Um, very well-trained critter. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Echo was not, you know, overly friendly with people, but she was, you know, one of those dogs that, you know, greeted her. She would wag her tail and so forth. And, Mm. you know, you could pet her and so forth. I moved into an apartment complex in Alpharetta, Georgia, uh, when my spouse was uh, working on their master's degree, just Mm. shortly after they'd gotten their master's degree. I took my dog out to, you know, do her business. And I walked out the door of our apartment and this woman was coming out of her apartment. She took one look at Echo Mm -hmm. and ran back into her apartment and locked the door. Oh, wow. And I was like, 
okay, I wonder what that's about. Yeah. And this happened more than once. Anytime she saw my dog, Mm -hmm. she was gone, done done with it. So I did a little research (laughs) and come to find out that people of her culture Mm -hmm. um, associated black dogs, any kind of black dog with the gin, which were not beings you wanted to interact with at all, right? In, in, In their religion, right? Right. So... I had to come to a, an understanding with my neighbor about, you know, okay, well, if I see you, then I won't bring the dog out, right. you know, and, you know, if I need to bring the dog out, I'll let you know, you know, so that you can do whatever it is that you do when you go back <laughs> to your apartment and hide from my dog. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is actually, uh, and I know this because it's my birthday, there is actually oh. a, uh, a national black dog day uh, on nice. October 1st. Wow, uh, which is a, a time when, like I said, it's my birthday, but it's also a time when the uh, the rescue organizations and pounds and stuff are trying to get people to adopt more black animals because they have trouble getting adopted. You know that people are afraid of black cats, but apparently mm-hmm. that extends to black dogs as well. So October 1st, my birthday is actually wow. <laughs> National Black Dog Day. So I was destined to It was to meant to be. <laughs> exactly. Yep. I was destined to write this book. That's really, that is really neat. Yeah, I thought so too. I I really enjoyed (laughs) that when I found out about it. Oh, yeah. So when you talk about black dogs, though, um, you know, as I said, one of the things that, that I cover in the book is the idea of, you know, if you wanted to have a black dog encounter, where might you have one? And Mm -hmm. by and large, you know, I mean, by a huge margin, almost Every black dog story in the book has something to do with a roadway, a footpath, you know, a path through a hedge, uh, someplace where humans walk or Mm -hmm. ride or do their conveyances, horses, cars, motorbikes, whatever. That is the most likely place to see a black dog. Um, And I kind of tie that in in the book with the whole theory of ley lines and straight tracks, because particularly in Britain, a lot of roads originate in those those long straight tracks that are supposedly areas of of earth energy. Um, So it may be that, you know, our our local black dog decides that it wants to manifest. If you you need to manifest and you need some energy to manifest, why not tap a ley line, right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Seems like an easier way to do it, you know? The interesting thing too about about the Phantom Black Dog apparitions is they seem to have a territory a lot of times. A lot of these stories, you will see a situation where the black dog will appear in a certain place and then it will disappear in a certain place. It's like it has a segment of road that it patrols, (laughs) which, you know, is is interesting of itself. There are some people that uh, maintain that the Phantom Black Dog is associated with water. I'm not 100% sure on that one. The boards, Janet and Colin Board in their Alien Animals book, make the case that uh, phantom black dogs are associated with water in, in the UK because you can't go more than five miles without finding some water unless there's a drought. <laughs> but you do have interesting stories of black dogs along rivers. There's a fascinating legend of a black dog appearing when a gentleman goes to the local pond and goes fishing. And he catches a large fish <laughs> and it, from this fish's mouth materializes a black dog. No way. <laughs> which, pro- which, yeah, which proceeds to then run to the local manor house oh. and do laps through the house. Oh, wow. um, and creates such a ruckus, apparently, mm-hmm. that uh, the Lord of the manor uh, sends off to London for a quote unquote wise man can you say which Uh, (laughs) right who who, uh comes to to uh to the house and sees this dog running crazily through the house constructs some uh partitions to prevent this from happening and the dog Mm. is basically they called it laying a ghost or is laying the spirit right so the spirit is laid well, later, the Lord and Lady of the Manor at that time decide that, that they want to take these partitions out because they're, they're just not convenient. They want to take one of the partitions out and convert one of the rooms into a huge dining room. And one of the maids says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't want to do that because <laughs> there are no wise men in London who know how to do this anymore. 
Oh no! Um, and, and tells the story. Now I don't know whether they took the partitions out or not, but uh, wow. I thought it was a great story because it's like, that okay, <laughs> the dog came out of a fish's mouth. That's a new one. Yeah, and that's not found anywhere else in the lore. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> but you know, as that's I said, one. there are black dog stories where uh, you know the dog is seen along along the seashore. Very mm-hmm. famous story of in 1972, a, a coast guard person. His name was Graham, I believe. Saw a black dog on the beach in Norfolk, Black Shark Territory. Thought it was a Labrador running around on the beach. And he says, oh, it it looked like it was looking for something, right? Well, Hmm. I guess it was looking for something. And whatever it was looking for, it found because it disappeared in front of his eyes. Oh, wow. Um, So this trained observer, this search and rescue professional, saw this thing and saw it disappear in front of him. Wow. So... So there are some associations with water that Mm. kind of breaks down when you start to look at the stories from Canada and the United States and Mexico and so forth. You don't see as much of that because again, you know, the waterways aren't as quite as close together. So may or may not be a thing. Mm. The one place that we know for sure you can find black dogs, and this is, you know, other than a roadside. Is anything to do with death? Cemeteries, churchyards, those cairns that they had that were burial cairns in in the Mm. UK, um, you know, Mm -hmm. like Neolithic burial sites, you know, any of those kinds of areas are places where black dogs are often seen. One of the great American stories is um, the black dog of, I don't speak Latin. So Mm -hmm. for those who do, pardon me if I slaughter this, but I think it's (laughs) Valle Crucis. Mm. which is a town in in North Carolina. There are several uh, stories about how the town got its name, but uh, one of the common ones is that there are two creeks that intersect in the shape of a cross in in that location. There's an an old church uh, that sits at a a crossroads, uh, (laughs) going back to your witchy conjure stuff there. Oh, yes. (laughs) I love it. But sitting at a crossroads, there is a a story that's probably an urban legend of of two young men who come along and uh, they're driving by the churchyard and they see something out of the corner of their eye and this massive black dog manifests. And I mean, this is one of the big scary ones, right? Right. This is the big scary one with the glowing red eyes and Mm -hmm. stuff. It actually pursues their car till they uh, cross running water and they just, they keep going. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Because they are wise. (laughs) They're wise. I don't think if I had one of those guys chasing me, I would stop either. And we think that's probably an urban legend, but there's actually a witness account from uh, from later on that corroborates that basic story. And the same kind of thing happens where the dog manifests from the the cemetery, the graveyard, the the churchyard, and then chases the vehicle until they, they cross one of the creeks. Now, the interesting thing is that the lady that saw this thing, they thought it was a bear at first. It was oh, so big wow. until it turned its glowing red eyes. Oh. And then they were like, okay, that's not a bear. <laughs> um, right. out of here. We are out of here. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So this is very, uh, one of the great stories from the United States. Another good one, um, you know, when you talk mm-hmm. about trained observers are talking about the, the Coast Guard guy, a police constable named Stonehouse in, in, uh, in Great Britain actually saw a dog running down the road and, you know, he thought it was a regular dog until it actually went through the iron gates of the churchyard oh. and disappeared into a, a tombstone. Wow. <laughs> um, that would be, and I'm encounter. always interested. Yes. I'm always interested in these stories about tombstones that, you know, I would like for somebody to tell me who was buried at that site. Oh yeah, where the, uh, where the black dog disappeared. You know, haven't <laughs> managed to get over to Britain and ask anybody. So, um, but that would be an interesting thing to follow up on. And there's the story of, of a black dog that appeared at one of the local cathedrals. The gentleman oh. was there with his family. They were having a nice Sunday outing and looking at the pretty church. And mm-hmm. this huge black dog manifests and and starts running down the side of the church building. Yeah. Um, and it's going faster than any dog, right? It goes down mm. the side of the church building, poof, disappears into the foundation of the church. They're like, wow. okay, why is this black dog going into a church? Right. And I had to think about that one for a minute until I realized that cathedrals uh, from that time period have tombs in them. Oh. Um, there, and there are apparently a number of very well-known people buried in that cathedral. <laughs> wow. So, oh. 
Um, Chills. You know, I mean, the black dog does have its association with death. You know, right. and I talk about this historically too. Um, you know, when you go back into your mythology and you look at, mm-hmm. well, I mean, you go back to the early days of mankind, domesticated mm-hmm. dogs come from wool and the mm-hmm. wolves probably got domesticated because they were following the humans around and they were getting food from them. And two packs basically mm-hmm. learned to work in harmony with each other. So you fast forward a little bit to ancient Egypt, and what do you have? You have Anubis. Oh, yes. And if you look at any Anubis picture, what do you see? It's a black dog. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) The Egyptologists are all like, well, you know, the reason that Anubis is a a dog form is because dogs and jackals and wolves and Mm. so forth were found in graveyards and they were scavenging human remains. Well, yeah, (laughs) probably. Dogs have been associated with death forever and ever. Because precisely for that reason, you know, mm-hmm. any carnivore that's provided with a free meal is going to take it. Oh, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So why we had to, to learn how to bury people or put them in stone cairns or pyramids <laughs> or whatever so that scavengers couldn't get to the remains. Right. You know, then you move forward in, in history a little bit and you come to the Greeks who had Kerberos dog, a three-headed dog that's described in the poems as dusky. You look at any Greek pottery, Kerberos is always black. Right. Um, yes, that's all I've seen. You know, so, you know, you have a black dog guarding the gates of the underworld there. Yes. You know, you had Anubis who was the god of the underworld, who was the basically the psychopomp god who guided souls into the duat. And then you have, uh, in Norse mythology, you have Garm, um, right. who is, again, a large black dog that guards yes. <laughs> the gates to the underworld. He guards the gates to hell, H-E-L, right. not the Christian hell. So we have these dogs that are associated with death all throughout history. And I talk a little bit about this in the book. It's not beyond the, the ken for this apparition that appears to be associated with death, particularly since it likes to hang out in cemeteries and churchyards and disappear into tombstones and, uh, you know, right. and, and all those kinds of scary things. Like I said before, that doesn't necessarily mean that the black dog is, is strictly a portent of death, right. but it certainly has its association with death. And we can't ignore that any more than we can ignore the guardian stuff. No, that's you know, or we can ignore the fact that it's immune to firearms or, <laughs> you know, people trying to hit it with umbrellas. Right. <laughs> and then it gets um, bigger. Some, yeah. Well, you know, the umbrella story, the, the young lady is walking along village A to village B in, in, mm-hmm. in Great Britain. And uh, this big dog materializes at her side. And she's like, I don't want this dog following me home. Right. So she right. takes her steel core umbrella and tries to whack the thing. And the umbrella goes <laughs> right through the apparition. And it just oh. keeps walking. Of course. And, and the funny thing is, you know, I told you in the uh, gun stories, a lot of times there's like multiple shots fired at these things. She doesn't just try to hit it once. She tries to hit it again after the <laughs> umbrella goes through it the first time. Right. And at which point she realizes that she's not dealing with a real dog and she just kind right. of makes her way home. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I would too. But we oh don't know gosh. why that dog was there. You know, right. uh, there, there's not a record of her having experienced death in the family. Um, right. She didn't seem to be under any threat. This is my section of road and I'm going to walk with wow. you now. And that's all there was to it. <laughs> wow. Now, have you thought about, since you know the locations that these black dogs have been sighted, have you wanted to go to these locations to try to have an experience yourself? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of these days, uh, you know, when I have a chance to to get to Britain, I'm going to trot off to Lincolnshire or something and see if I can't summon a black dog. <laughs> you know? um, oh, wow. That would be fantastic. You know, uh, that would be way fun, you know. And the problem is, of course, these dogs seem to appear at their pleasure. Right. Yeah. So you could walk up and down the same stretch of road for 20 years and never have a black dog experience. And then one night it's getting dusk. The moon is is full over your head and and the wind is blowing crisp through the leaves and it's fall and boom, there's a black dog there. Right. And we don't know why. (laughs) Right. We don't know why. If it's not a death portent and it's not there to take care of you, you know, to guard you from something. Right. Is it just that's the time it's decided that it's going to go for a walk? 
<laughs> I mean, there's always the possibility, you know, with you, since you have, you've written this book and your birthday is National Black Dog Day, that it could happen just as part of that experience. And maybe you'd have a higher probability because of your association with them. Then you have to differentiate because I talk about some of the theories behind, you know, where black dogs come from. You know, if we set aside the whole skeptics triad, oh, it's a misidentification (laughs) or they were hallucinating or they're just lying. When you have hundreds and hundreds of witnesses, it doesn't add up. You know, not everybody is going to misidentify or lie or they're not all tripping. (laughs) (laughs) This is all there is to it. But I do wonder in some cases particularly Mm -hmm. the ones where people are by themselves and, you know, they take a swat at the dog and they can't touch it or whatever. If people aren't having some kind of a spontaneous psychic event, Mm. um, you know, we know that psi is a reality, whether the scientists like it or not. Yes, (laughs) Um, exactly. Clairvoyance is is a little harder to prove, but there's plenty of anecdotal evidence for clairvoyance. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, some of these uh, instances where people see black dogs before the death in the family could be uh, death apparitions, you know, and some of the some of the instances where people just see a black dog walking along down the side of the road disappears at some point could simply be a a spontaneous psychic event brought on by a walking trance. I mean, think about it. You know, Zen Buddhists walk to meditate all the time. That's true. Um, So if you Mm -hmm. put yourself in a certain frame of mind, uh, you are more likely, you know, the the research for telepathy Mm -hmm. and, and so forth shows that you are more likely to have a psychic event if you're in certain brainwave state which you can achieve by walking or even driving. Highway hypnosis is a real thing. (laughs) Yes, it is. So some of the, you know, some of these things could be spontaneous psychic events. No, that's true. And and, and I'm totally okay with that. (laughs) You know, I'm also okay with the fact that I talk about book, you know, I'm not an either or thinker. It's not this thing or that thing. It's a, it's a both and situation. It can be a lot of things. Yeah. Um, you know, in the magical arts, they have, a, you know, a thing called the thought form, which mm. people who are well trained can actually create. Um, yes. If you read Dion Fortune's Secrets of Dr. Taverner, uh, she actually has a story about, uh, you know, a black occultist who creates a black dog to try to scare somebody to death. Wow. Um, there's always the possibility that some of these things that are being seen are actually projections from somebody's mind. Or actual, if you want to call it astral beings that are mm-hmm. are being created for whatever right. reason. You know, you see some of this idea in uh, Linda Godfrey's work when she talks about uh, oh. the man wolves appearing yes. in places, you know, for instance, like Indian burial mounds and so forth. Mm-hmm. That these things could be guardian spirits that were either summoned there or created by the shaman of that tribe to guard this burial area. So, I mean, if we're willing to let our minds expand beyond the scientific materialist rigmarole that we're taught in school, there's all kinds of of reasons why these creatures could be appearing. I talk about that quite a bit in the book, actually. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Love to have you back on. That would be incredible. I feel like there's so much more to cover and so many other questions. And so, but I would, yeah, I would love that. And if you could tell everybody where they can find you and find your book. Sure. I'm available on Facebook, of course, uh, Twitter, Instagram under various handles. Book itself is available um, either as a paperback or as an ebook on Amazon right now, the U.S. and Canada and in the U.K., I assume that it's available in places like Australia and stuff too. (laughs) But but that's that's where you can find the book. Again, it's called Phantom Black Dogs, uh, Walkers of the Liminal Way. And I'm W.T. Watson. I go by Travis in everyday life, but uh, (laughs) W.T. Watson is the name that I write under. So that's where you can find me. And if you have a witness account, whether it's Black Dogs or anything else, I'm always interested in hearing them. Uh, I'm always, I'm in the middle of research for another book that's not about black dogs, that's going to cover a a lot of ground. And I'm interested in anybody's witness account. If you're someone who's seen something unusual, you know, feel free to contact me. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much.
in flames of red. Worry ties me to the ground. Feathers fall without a sound, without a sound. Burn on the flame, burn on. There's a light in the fire. Burn on, dear flame, burn on. 